Good day gentlemen, James Marshall here. In today's video, I'm going to be discussing the concept and the application of the sexual market and also be looking at some metaphorical ideas of sexual wealth gap and hopefully adding some more nuance and detailed understanding of what can appear to be just a blanket broad scope definition and description of the way that coupling between men and women works. Welcome to the Natural Lifestyles Podcast. I am your host, James Marshall, and together with my world-class coaching team, we'll be discussing topics on natural style seduction, masculine, feminine, dynamic, lifestyle design, sexuality, personal change, and so much more. Stay tuned for today's episode. Now, the first thing to understand is that there's no such thing as a single sexual market, right, where you've got, I don't know, Leonardo DiCaprio and some Saudi princes at the very top, and then everyone else funnels in underneath in some kind of you know, hierarchy that ends up with the least dateable person on the planet at the bottom. The reality is that, yes, sexual markets exist, but there are literally millions of them, right? And that, and that has always been the case with humans, right? So throughout human history, we were divided up into subgroups, into tribes, into villages, into societies. And within those groupings of human beings, there would indeed be hierarchies and different correlations of the way that men and women hooked up. And then, also throughout history, there have been intersections between various sexual markets. So, what I mean by that is, unless you happen to be Amish, right? if you live in an Amish community, it's quite possible that, that this is completely self-enclosed, that there is no mobility in or out of that society, and so dating and mating and marriage and ch children and so on all happens within this one group. But the reality of the modern world is that we certainly live within small subgroups, but we're living often in broad-scale societies where there are hundreds, thousands, or hundreds of thousands of different types of groupings within a given city, for example. And what this means is that if we are to look at this concept of the sexual market, it can be useful conceptually. But there is big problems when we look at it as a broad scope thing that covers all of humanity. Because inevitably then, if you are ranking yourself or, you know, allowing influencers or, you know, various pundits to describe your rankings for you, then you'll inevitably fall short of, of the, you know, the, the entire population because there's going to be someone at the top or some small group at the top who are hotter, richer, taller and so on. And then you're going to slot somewhere in low beneath this. The perception that we can have if we describe this as a sexual market is that women are, again, looking at things from a broad scope and seeing all the men that are available and only gravitating towards this mythical, whatever it is, 5-10% of most attractive males in the entire population or in the population of the entire city or the entire country or whatever. And this is not, in reality, the way that things work between men and women, because at the end of the day... It always comes down to an individual choice of one woman and one man, and okay, maybe the woman who makes the decision to allow things to progress initially, or maybe the man, but okay, mostly it, often it is women as the gatekeepers to, you know, the romantic liaison initially at least. But you know, at the end of the day, we're coming down to a, a if we want to have kind of financial or market analogies of a single sales person, you, this is you with your product going up to a single potential customer and doing your pitch. And then that single customer decides yes or no or maybe. And then if they decide a maybe or a yes, then the possibility happens where you are totally viable within the sexual market of that single woman's you know, desire and life. 
So my initial point is that it is actually very dangerous to attach an ideology to your sexuality, to a broad scope description of society, to what ultimately is personal exchanges. I'm not saying that the political, demographic, financial, and many other metrics that are outside of, let's say, your control don't affect things. Okay, that would be naive to say that. Of course, there are certain markers of success or of attractiveness that tend to attract mates and men that have more of these will often have the possibility of more options than the men who have less of these. But when we look at it at this in this very rigid or very kind of cynical or nihilistic position of like, it's just about the metrics. And if you don't come up to certain levels of arbitrary metrics, then, then you are out of the market, then you're out of the market, right? Because the reality is that so many men actually withdraw themselves from the sexual market. And the reality for almost everybody is that at points in your life, you will be out of the market, right? If you're in a relationship, you're out of the market, let's say happily, right? You've, you've done your trade and you've invested in a relationship and the two of you are now no longer seeking mates. And so therefore, the sexual market is uh, more or less irrelevant to you, okay? So you'll be out of the market during that period. And for men and for women as well, but definitely the statistics seem to say that uh, men will typically spend longer periods alone being single, that if you're a man who is single and not actively trying to date, then you are out of the market, right? Because if you are not approaching women, you know, not having any luck on the apps, not working on your, your social world or not creating opportunities where people may come into your life, then you can be completely out of the market, right? So you can be someone who is just on the shelf, literally invisible. And unfortunately, a lot of men will spend large periods of their life in that situation. Now, that would be okay if it was like being temporarily unemployed, right? So if we you know, look at this in terms of the financial markets, there is definitely wealth gaps out there. It's pretty obvious that some people are born to sweet delight, some are born to endless night, some have massive advantages from family wealth, intelligence, connections, the country that they're born in, luck playing a big part in terms of, you know, if they were in the right place at the right time or they chose to get into a profession that was popping and, and uh, was, was uh, profitable and so on. Uh, and then there's a bunch of things that are outside the individual's control in terms of the economy and the price of crypto and, uh, you know, demographic shifts and changes in the way that certain career paths used to be completely safe and ones that you could rely on most of your life and now they're not. They've been made redundant and changed and so on. So there are all sorts of, you know, broad scope patterns and market forces at play that are outside the individual's scope of changing. But if we were to look at, you know, healthy wealth or success mindsets, there are kind of two options that we can play with. If you weren't born into extreme wealth and privilege and, you know, things set out for you, then what are your choices? One is to look at the market and say that it's unfair and you can't win. And there would be, you know, there would be a legitimate case for that. And for some people, it's completely true, right? Like if you're born in, I don't know, North Korea, born under a, an authoritarian regime or in, or in abject poverty and you have low intelligence and don't have enough nutrition to, you know, form your brain and so on, like there can be things where people are kind of fucked from day one and it would take monumental efforts or amazing luck 
synchronicities or whatever for that person to be able to move themselves out of that position. Some people are are in those positions, and that's you know obviously terrible and sad. But then there are large portions, particularly in the Western world, of populations where if I was to look at things as the game is rigged financially or you know in terms of success and wealth, there's no point in trying because the odds are stacked against you and therefore I'll give up. You could make an argument for that. You could explain it all away on external forces. And it's not that you shouldn't necessarily com- you know, have the odd complaint about those external forces, about whether it's corrupt officials or you know, inflation or various things that are making people's lives difficult. Okay, you know, that sucks and we, we can't always grin and bear it. But we do have to bear it. Right? We do have to operate within it. Because if we really give up, unless we have the luxury of, I don't know, generous parents or something to uh, just kind of deal with you for the rest of your life, then bowing out of the market means poverty and destitution and, and a very difficult and shit life. Most people don't do that. They do engage with the markets, with Korea, with trying to deal with money, with trying to you know, improve their physical situations and so on. And therefore, then there are certain types of mindsets and behaviors that will be a benefit or, or not. Right? So there will be people who understand what a liability and an asset is who will start to try and accrue wealth, who will try to minimize perhaps their expenses, to leverage their location, to figure out building skills where they can, you know, double their wage from just the minimum wage to, okay, something which is now allowing me to put a little bit away, to work on understanding how investments work, to possibly move into, you know, at some point maybe starting their own kind of business or entrepreneurship where they can, over time, if they have mindsets where this is possible, it's not easy, and there can well be complete failures along that journey, but keeping those mindsets and the activities of people who are effective in mind will tend to lead to you being in a much better situation than if you'd been uh, holding the belief that it's not fair, the game is rigged, and why bother, so therefore I'll give up. If you're enjoying today's episode and you'd like to find out more about the services and information that the Natural Lifestyles provide, then check out our show notes where you'll see links to all of our other resources, including our YouTube channel, TikTok, and most importantly, our workshop schedule. TNL team is constantly on the road, traveling the planet and teaching the world's most high-end, bespoke and personalized coaching workshops for men, teaching you how to date women in everyday situations without the use of cheesy lines or those goddamn apps. Check it out. And now back to the episode. If we take this over back into the sexual market, unfortunately, a lot of men, and particularly the younger generation, so what are they now, Zoomers, I think, or Generation Alphas are coming up, but, you know, guys who are 18 to 25-ish, for many of them, unfortunately, they have allowed these particularly kind of nihilistic, sometimes black pill types of ideologies to give them an excuse to give up. Statistics say that 45% of men age 18 to 25 have never approached a woman they didn't know. Never, right? In all all of their years, they have never, uh, you know, walked over to someone in a party, said hello to someone in a cafe, waved and smiled and given a compliment to someone on the street. They have never done that, right? And as a result, they are inevitably out of the sexual market. Right, because there is there is this, these certain kind of base metrics which, until you activate them, literally nothing happens. Okay, for women, if they are of some level of attractiveness, they have an advantage in the sense that they can be kind of passive, or they can just be 
present somewhere, you know, if, if they're at least socially out there in some kind of sense, then typically some men will make advances on them. And so, again, often women don't need to initiate and don't need to approach. We could say that's unfair. We could say that, that things should be differently. But if it's at a broad scope level, we can't change societal level behaviors. We can't change all women's behaviors. And for whatever variety of reasons, we're in the situation where it is the man's prerogative to make most of the initial advances, if not all of them. And so if you're a man who is unable to do that, then you have taken yourself out of the market. It wasn't female hypergamy or all the alpha males stealing the women off you, women monkey branching to other guys or any of these kind of broad scope uh, ideas that often men and pundits are saying is the problem. At the root cause of it, it's like if there is no action, then there is no reaction. If there is no approach, then there is no possibility of you joining the market. So it is really important that just as we take responsibility for our health and our wealth, our well-being and various other metrics and areas in life, even though there are, of course, all sorts of adversarial forces out there, there is fierce competition in all realms, there are difficulties and vicissitudes that you are going to have to face. We don't really feel, I mean, at the base level, we don't feel like we have a choice because we have survival, you know, the fear of not surviving pushing us, which is away from pain motivations. And then hopefully we have towards pleasure and success and fulfillment motivations in these areas of our life. And it is really important that we install that when it comes to our personal relationships with women. Now, there would be a counter argument that no, that's not true. It's not worth it. Women are not worth it. And this is a, a common refrain that is, you know, thrown around now in the kind of manosphere of a lot of outgrowings of the original men's movements of uh, pickup artists and self-development. What I've seen, because, you know, I've been in this industry since more or less the beginning of it, and I've seen that there has been a crash of the wave of hope on scale for men. You know, in, in the early days when I was first learning about this and then teaching it, there was almost no discussion of politics, of gender politics, of sexual market value particularly. There was some investigation of evolutionary psychology and understanding of certain status triggers and, and the way that, let's say, you know, general hierarchies between men and women might work. But it was really based on the personal proactivity of the man, what he could learn, what he could do, what he could become so that he could you know, date and attract higher quality mates. And there was a, a swell of enthusiasm and hope and action that happened around the world, at least within this, you know, kind of small realm of the guys who are looking into pickup artist techniques or learning, learning seduction. But it was millions, millions of men throughout the, let's say, 2000s through to the mid, you know, 2010s or whatever we're at now. Uh, and that has seemed to tail off in recent years. And in its place, in this vacuum that has appeared, has risen different other, much more, I would say, cynical and reductive, simplistic ideologies, actually, which attempt to explain things at broad scale. This would be, you know, the red pill and black pill movements, the discussion of very, very rigid ideas of what makes a man attractive and not based on, you know, three or four kind of often unchangeable metrics. And although, of course, there are grains of truth and there are possibly even broad scale truths in, in looking at the patterns of what's happening between men and women globally, or let's say at scale in the Western world, 
again, if we hold on to this as a reason why things cannot work, then it means that the ideology has robbed you of your own personal journey. And this is extraordinarily dangerous, I think, particularly for the younger generation to decide in advance, you know, for guys where half of them have never spoken to a woman, where, you know, 60% of men in those brackets are, are single for long periods of time compared to women, which is 30 odd percent, that if you give a, a man or a person an excuse and a reason to give up and you create a, a broad scope theory about it and, you know, you can explain it, it sounds digestible, let's say, then you are robbing that man of his personal choice to go out there and figure it out for himself. So the first thing, you know, I want us to be aware of here is that, as I said, in the, in the real market, the, the market of finance and career and so on, most people don't really think that there is an option to bow out of it, to boycott it, to give up. Some people do, you know, if, if you're in a country where you can sit on social security benefits or you've got a parent who will put up with you in their basement or, or you find some very base level, you know, menial work that will allow you to just survive. Okay. I mean, people survive however they survive, but it's not going to be the, the most fulfilling life, obviously. When it comes to the, the sexual markets, right, remembering, and this will, will be of assistance to start thinking of them as kind of not infinite, but literally millions of different markets. But if we decide that the, as a man that you are not going to engage with that because it's too hard, it, requ it requires huge amounts of effort for little return. And if you do even succeed, then there's all this horrible stuff that's waiting down the line for you because women always, and you know, these often kind of red pill truisms that women will always monkey branch to another partner that's better, that they are inherently hypergamous in that they are always going to transfer on to the better option, that, you know, nice guys will not be rewarded for any kind or positive behavior. And that, you know, something, something, divorce, you lose all your shit, your children are taken off you and then they become trans. Firstly, you know, there's, there's these very uh, horrific end, end uh, storylines that are sold as kind of inevitable. And I'm not naive, right? I've, I've been in this industry for over 15 years. I've seen the fallout of men who were too nice, who put up with shit behavior, who got married to the wrong woman, uh, who didn't sign prenups you know, who were cheated on, who were doormats, who stayed in toxic or sexless or loveless relationships for years, sometimes decades. Like I've, I've seen and heard it all because in my line of work, my clients tell me everything and I've, I've seen all, all the permutations of what is possible. So I'm not naive and I'm not saying that, you know, that you just need to find a nice gal and get married and you'll live happily ever after. But on the other side, I'm I will say that if you don't engage with women at all or your dating life is something that you don't take proactive control over, then we definitely know what the negative effects of that are going to be. If a man from 18 to 25 in, or any, any age range chooses not to engage with women because it is a choice, right? it's, a, it's an apathetic or a passive choice, but it's a choice nonetheless. If he chooses this, then it means from 19 to 24, as an example, he was alone. He was sexually frustrated. He wasn't feeling love and intimacy. He wasn't connecting. He wasn't facing his fears and building his confidence in the face of adversity and inevitable rejections and, uh, you know, 
barriers that come along the way. He wasn't building his masculine projection of intent or sexuality right? and all sorts of other correlating skills and benefits that would come from putting effort into it in that period. Whereas if he did, let's say, you know, he started doing that at 18 or 21 or whenever he starts really getting into that, yes, there will be a inevitably difficult beginner's phase. Right? And that's what I take guys through when I'm taking them on workshops. I'm trying to speed us through that beginner's hell of like the, you know, the first 50 to 100 approaches. And when we say approaches, like we say that because that's the word that's been used since the dawn of this industry. But, you know, it probably should have been called something else early on, but that's what it is. But what is that? It means interfacing with a woman. It means meeting somebody. It means talking to a stranger. It means rolling up as that salesman of your own product, which is your sexy self, and presenting it to two individual markets, which is individual women. And then seeing if my sales technique needs to be improved or if I just need to cold canvas enough people, you know, I need to go and knock on enough doors to make a sale. Thank you for listening to the Natural Lifestyles podcast. If you enjoyed our content and you'd like some more, then you can check out our YouTube channel, which is just The Natural Lifestyles. And if you want to find out about our live coaching and online coaching services, including our incredible live dating workshops, sexuality workshops, then you should check out our website, thenaturallifestyles.com. Thanks once again, and we'll see you in the next episode. Peace.